0: My name is Jared.
1: And my name is Al.
0: And you are listening to the New Leaf Project. Friends, we are giving birth today. Something brand new. Something exciting. And uh, L is here to tell us about it.
1: I am. Today is birthing day. And we are really excited about it. We are launching what we are calling <laughs> the, the New Leaf Podcast Network. And so we are putting out into the world a new podcast called True North Theology. So this is a podcast that's hosted by Ryan Turnbull. Uh, He is a good friend of ours. He is a PhD candidate at the University of Birmingham. And he wants, wanted, he's a starter. He wanted to start a podcast about Canadian theology and came to us and said, hey, would you be interested in doing this? And we said, yes,
0: absolutely. Yeah, huh. Uh yeah and it's not just canadian theology it's even more specific than that it's canadian political theology
1: yes this this series for this season is going to be about political theology and so ryan has interviewed theologians and ministry practitioners historians and political scientists to help introduce us to a conversation about canadian christian political theology and so every week you're going to be introduced to a different figure or movement in canadian political theology and he's got all sorts of recommendations for extra reading that you can do if this is something that you're interested in and honestly friends i'm personally very interested in it and he has done an amazing job and got some incredible people uh, to be a part of the show and so we wanted to host this week the first episode of this uh, season on our feed so that you can know that this exists and that if this is something that's interesting to you that you can subscribe and uh, join the fun
0: this is so exciting so let's uh let's just get out of the way here and let's roll tape
2: Hey there, this is your host Ryan, and you're listening to the True North Theology Podcast. In 1969, former Canadian Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau made this comment on a trip to Washington. Living next to you is in some ways like sleeping with an elephant. No matter how friendly and even-tempered is the beast, if I can call it that, one is affected by every twitch and grunt. Living in Canada, our lives are dominated by the events that go on in the United States. We read American books, watch American television, listen to American music, and fight about American politics. In the church, this is even more pronounced, as so many of our parishes are dominated by resources from American pastors, theologians, and publishing houses. I don't know about you, but sometimes, as fascinating as our American neighbors are, I just want to have a conversation about being Christian in Canada. Do Canadians have anything distinctive to say or are we merely, as the great Canadian George P. Grant once remarked, branch plant managers for the American commercial empire? This is a podcast about Canadian theology and in our first season I'm going to take you on a crash course through the tradition of Canadian political theology. I've interviewed theologians, ministry practitioners, historians, political scientists and more to help provide an introduction to some of the conversations that Canadian Christians have been having about faith and public life in Canada throughout our history. For our first episode, my friend Dr. John Coutts and I have a conversation about political theology. What is it? What does it look like in Canada? Every week, I'll try to introduce you to a different figure or movement in Canadian political theology and provide recommendations on some further reading that you can explore if a particular topic interests you. I'm really looking forward to learning with you all as we dig into the lives and stories of so many interesting Canadians. All right, that's enough from me. On to the interview. Today on the podcast, I have with me my friend, John Coutts, who's the Assistant Professor of Christian Theology at Ambrose University. John has a PhD from the University of Aberdeen, uh, where he studied under, under the supervision of the late John Webster. John is an ordained minister in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and some of his recent publications include his 2016 monograph, A Shared Mercy, Carl Barth on Forgiveness and the Church, as well as a more recent contribution to a Brill volume on Theology and the Political entitled, The Prince of Peace Smokes a Peace Pipe, a Church Response to the Challenges of Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Welcome to the podcast, John. Hey, thanks for having me, Ryan. So John, you and I uh, have been kind of working behind the scenes a little bit on a project on Canadian political theology, and this podcast is one of the things we have going. Yeah. I understand that you will be teaching a module this on political theology at Ambrose in the near future. So I'm wondering, just as an introduction to the topic of, of political theology, if you could just kind of introduce what that means for our listeners um, and kind of how you'll be approaching that in your, in your course this year. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think maybe one of the first things our listeners should know is that this podcast and our partnership with new leaf is an attempt for us to try to answer that question. So particularly in the Canadian theological context. So in a sense, it's open-ended. I want to figure out what political theology means in our context, but you know, there's a discipline called political theology and there's a certain thing that that class is going to be about. So, Essentially, I think the way that I'm approaching at least the construction of a course like that is that it's basically theologizing about political things, right? Um, I don't know if that's the best description of political theology, but that's where at least we'll start. And so that means that will mean things like um, trying to understand the difference between how ancient sort of Greco Roman societies in Aristotle and Plato's time and so on kind of uh, what their social vision for the society was, for better or for worse, and then contrasting that with modern, mostly Western um, approaches to the organization of the society. And the, the first goal there is to sort of see, kind of to see in, in contrast or in relief, how different modern the modern Western society organizes itself compared to even just one example, the, you know, the Greco-Roman society. And then it's in that comparison to get us a better sense of, 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 how our sort of social existence is organized. And so that, but then to do that theologically though, so that's not to like pick between them and try to name which one is the most Christian, but is actually to try to think about the premises within each of those. Like, what are the presuppositions on which they're based and how can we think about those theologically? So, for example, you know, a, a very, very crass difference between an ancient uh, political structure and a modern one would be that an ancient one is sort of organized around, uh, well, someone's idea of what the collective <laughs> is, is about and modern Western societies organized around the sort of um, idealized freedom and autonomy of, and, you know, flourishing of the individual and so those are very different ways of approaching it. But then we can dig into the details of sort of economics and um, statecraft and like how Western democracies were organized. And, th- and thinking about the premises of that um, theologically can help us to get a sense of like, you know, to evaluate how, how we think about those political structures, but then also to get a sense of how the church fits in them and how the church speaks to them and how we as citizens engage in them. So yeah, it's most it probably should be called theologizing about the political, but it, it tends to go deeper than that, doesn't it? I don't know. What do you what do you think so far? <laughs> like, what would you add to that? Do you think?
2: Yeah, I, I wonder if you think that there is, um, if kind of theologizing with the political, if, if there is something, um, you know, a Christian approach to something, or if or if there is always kind of. Um, or if, or if perhaps political theology is always kind of in response to kind of challenges as they arise. Because mm-hmm. it seems to me that um, well, I, I spent the day today reading about uh, the 16th century England and the various kind of things that they were caught up in. And it just seems in some ways continuous with our situation, but also just radically different in other kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder if um, if there are like deep principles that are consistent across all of that or if it's yeah. always just kind of a highly contextual kind of response yeah. uh,
3: that's a good point and that probably gets at the difference between theologizing about the political which is almost like responsive or historical and political theology because and i, I would like to try for that in a sense that's I, I feel like i'm early in my investigation of political theology i don't know if i have strong convictions about it but like you asking the question like is there like a judeo and the, or a hebrew and then a christian sort of Approach to like how humans should relate in social contexts. Um, you know, even the Ten Commandments affirms certain like sort of structures. You know, if not, you know, maybe not. Maybe it doesn't underwrite the whole system of private property, but at least respect for other people's possessions, whatever that is. You know, honoring your father and mother. Like there is at least indications within the the Hebrew story, and then the and then the. the Christian Testament, you know, about, you know, how we should think of our life together. Um, So it would be nice to be able to drill down to sort of, to get a sort of background sense of what that would be. Then you could just measure everything against it. But I just don't know that it's that cut and dry, like even between the two Christian, the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian Testament, I'm not sure you could, there's just massive differences, right? So I guess political theology names that conversation, even before we have arrived at some sort of idea of what like a Christian polis or politic really is. And even once you've just described or distinguished some features of like a Christian politic, then you still have the question, well, have you described the politic that like defines like a church, like when Christians get together with themselves, or have you described a politic that defines like how a nation should organize itself, or have you described an economy or a global Set of like international relationships, like what have you even addressed? So, political theology really is just the catch all term for that entire discussion, I guess. Right. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's right. I think what I, what I heard in, in kind of the early part of your answer there was, um, that perhaps one approach to it might be kind of looking for, well, when you, when you brought up like the, the Ten Commandments, for example, uh, kind of looking for a divine law, uh, Mm -hmm. some sort of a natural. So, In other words, there's a certain kind of natural law or divine law that you can kind of figure out. And then you would that would be then held up as a rule against all other things. Um, I think. uh, Today, a lot of people would be skeptical that we could even know something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that would be, I guess, part of the debate. Can can you even do this uh, in that kind of way or not? That's definitely a way that has been pursued in the past, for sure. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. And I actually uh, don't really even ascribe to that. So I would join those who are skeptical about, well, a whether we can access natural law, so That's a question of like our understanding of the, of our humanity and our natural sort of environment or b whether there even is one, you know, right. like in the sense of like a divinely ingrained, like life principle that we can detect and then organize our lives around. I'm not sure that I think Christianity, let alone, um, Hebrew faith and the covenants really thought that. I I think uh, so. You know. So this is part of the conversation when we do political theology. What do we think we're doing? Trying to detect some sort of natural governing principles that God has sown into the created order and human relationships, and then just sort of put the uh, the Bible's like rubber stamp of approval on whatever we come up with, or do we actually think that as Christians we have to both observe how humans in history and, and now um, have organized their life together and sort of make the pro and con, you know, evaluations of that, but then also critique and, and build on it from like, within uh, Christian views of like, you know, basic moral impulses, like neighbor, neighbor love and enemy love, you know, and on and on it goes. And so certainly there's a natural law way to go about it. But I, I would like to like, raise that probably one of the things we'll do in our class is like raise that approach and then raise like the counter approach, you know? Right. <laughs> Cause like yeah. a reference to a 10 commandments is not a reference to natural law. It's a reference to the divine command that speaks into human relations like mother, father relations, but doesn't necessarily like leave them untouched or even like just grant sort of rubber stamp approval on like the way we would have organized ourselves. And so th- this is another topic for political theology.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So does, does the gospel leave any of our politics untouched? Yeah. Is, is maybe a way of asking. And I mean, that. and a lot of
3: probably our listeners and the people we want to engage in this conversation on the academic side and the church side will come at it from different perspectives, but uh, at least people in the evangelical churches that I run in, They'll even we'll even need to just talk about whether the gospel is political at all, you know. And I'm thoroughly convinced that it is, but not everybody um, is there, you know. That like, does the gospel actually address politics? Is the gospel social? I mean, I'm convinced. Yeah. Well, maybe it is.
2: maybe we can uh, maybe you could speak a bit more about that. Why um, I think the majority report of of uh, historic Christianity would say that the gospel is political or at least has profound political uh, ramifications. And yet you're right. I, I grew up in kind of similar church circles to you. And it was kind of, um, you kept you kept religion and politics separate. Mm-hmm. Is that something kind of like contingent about our time? Or, or what do you think driving that in, in some parts of the church today?
3: Yeah, well, one of the things that most um, I found most illuminating when I started studying like political theology and, and like modern ethics and stuff this realization that um, the sort of separation from of religion from sort of statecraft or like, um, you know, the political conversations was like an intentional thing. Like one of the places I see it is John Locke and when he's talking about tolerance and he's saying like for us to have a society where we tolerate different beliefs we have to sort of bracket out religious convictions from our agreements about how to like live in a society. Um, and that, you know, fast forward decades and centuries and that sort of, that's not the only route, but like one of the root causes of like our divide between theory and practice or between religion and the public sphere. And we, you know, people of our generation that are born into that world, into the Western world, just kind of get born into this, Reality that religion is is cut a, cut a, cut apart from from public life, and there's some good things about that, but one of the bad things about that is that um, the gospel or the meaning of our faith really goes entirely interior, you know, and it's just a matter of opinion or personal conviction, and so um, a couple of things happen. One thing is that you can't even speak to politics from within your faith, um, or um, Worse, you actually don't even have a grasp on how your faith or the gospel, like, even addresses political questions. And that, to me, is a shame because, you know, in church week in and week out, we're going to um, basically avoid all the huge questions and turn every sermon into a question of, like, individual morality or individual sort of convictions. And that basically, to me, like, cuts off, like, most of the scripture's applicability. <laughs> right. <sighs> Right. Um, but now we're in a weird time, right? Where all of a sudden there's this massive, uh, increase in like the willingness of people to just assert their faith in the public sphere. And that's an interesting phenomenon that's never really gone away, but it's, it's, uh, I'm not sure what to do with that right now. Probably yeah. Probably. It
2: seems like, uh, religion has, has reemerged in the public yeah. square in a big way. Yeah, uh, and in and in sometimes scary ways, I think for a lot of people. Um, but even
3: there, it's a very individualistically conceived view of how religion informs the public square, right? Like, again, e- just even speaking of evangelicals, like, do we actually see like church bodies or like organized groups of evangelicals making like unified statements about a political thing, whether it be vaccines or Black Lives Matter or whatever? Sometimes we see statements from institutions, but more or less, it's like literally like individuals on Facebook claiming that they can be conscientious objectors without any recourse to like the ecclesial, like the church conversations that would have to happen for you to be able to like actually make a stand against something. And so it's it's still very like individualized, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And you know, that that reminds me of this distinction that uh, Stanley Harawas, who's a Prominent Christian ethicist made a number of years ago. He he would push back on this kind of, I guess, instrumentalization of Christianity for political purposes. Mm-hmm. So uh, people would say like, what's particularly in kind of like mainline circles, which is where he is. Uh, people would kind of say like, what are the implications of the gospel? How do we how do we you know what kind of political position should we be supporting because of the gospel? And he would kind of say like that Christianity does not have a politics. Uh, rather it is a politics yeah. uh, and this has been kind of taken up by one of one of Harawas's kind of disciples I guess Arne Rasmussen um, to kind of really drive this distinction between kind of political theology and theolog- theological politics and to kind of argue for this idea that the church itself is a is a polis uh, is a polity it has its own kind of political reality and I wonder what what you make of that distinction and in your estimation, does the church have a politics or is it a politics?
3: I mean, I certainly agree with Harwas about that. If, if what he means is that the church doesn't have like, um, isn't partisan, but even going further than that, um, the church actually doesn't have like ingrained into its being a particular view of an ideal political structure. So um, the church can almost work with anything. So the church will be the church in any time and place. You know whether it's in the midst, whether it's a church in an empire, or it's a church in a democracy, or it's a church in in some other you know mode of organization, whether parliamentary or in um, like a, an American setup. The church is going to be able to work with that. Where I and so that and that also within each of those. Uh, political systems the church also doesn't like align itself with a political party um, like for all time in in principle um, which is another thing do you think the
2: church can align itself with a a political party I I saw this on Twitter today somebody kind of saying that you know the the church can be political but it can't be partisan and I wondered about that whether or not there are times in which it's appropriate for the church to be partisan yeah or, or if that's just always off the table
3: no, I, I mean, I, I like where you're going with that because I, I think it's the right question to ask. Because um, while, I, while I would agree with that sort of more Bartian point of how is that the church doesn't have like a, a stake in like the fight over what the best political structure or party is, it shouldn't be indecisive. The church should like, that doesn't mean it's like indifferent to parties and party platforms and political structures, And so to that degree, I think Harawas probably himself would have admitted, even with the force of his polemic, he's like, well, the church has a politic in the sense that it has an approach to the questions of like what to do and how it organizes society. It might not have a one size fits all for all times and places politic, but it's going to have and have the potential to always be making decisions in its time and place. So, and that goes for municipal levels and national levels. Like, the church within Canada should in theory be able to put its collective head together and actually be decisive about political questions. Now use often the decision can be, yeah, we don't have like a one ruling on this. So it's a matter of like individual, a local church or even individual decisions. That's how democracies work. And we endorse that we maybe will give a a, a church sort of perspective on it, but, but at times the church has to say, you know what? As a body, we, we think there's a way to go here based upon, well, based upon what? Well, the church has a politics. Like the church has a particular view to like what it means to be humans and what it means to relate to the environment. And that view is always changing and in flux and repenting and reforming. And it needs to do a heck of a lot of that in our time. But that doesn't mean we're indifferent or without uh, resources or convictions. You know what I mean? So that's where I... I would say it has a politics, it's just not partisan or like caught up in like um, engineering. or even going to reverse engineering, like the perfect uh, state system. Right. Um, that doesn't well, mean I, it's indecisive. You know what I mean? Is that what you're getting at?
2: Yeah, I think so. Like I I, I can think of um, a couple, um, I suppose examples. One, like historically the, the Barman Declaration in Germany mm-hmm. would be perhaps a very kind of partisan rebuke of Uh, of the Nazi party, but also much more recently in Canada, in the aftermath of the TRC um, call to action number 49 asked the churches that were party to the residential schools to reject the doctrine of discovery and the concept of terra nullius. And uh, at least my church, the Anglican Church of Canada, and I know the United Church and uh, perhaps the Presbyterians as well have all Uh, formally rejected that in in their various uh, kind of synods and stuff. And they've made that kind of political stand that like this is something that we reject and we're speaking on behalf of the whole church and saying like this really is uh, like a no-go zone for us. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that the kind of thing you have in mind of when the church might take a stand? Uh, Do you have any other kind of like notions of of what those kind of things might be where it's really important for the church to kind of stand up and say yes or no (laughs) to something.
3: I mean, theoretically, it could happen any given moment, like on a local level, but it's going to happen more often because you're always just more intimately involved in like municipal affairs and neighborhood events. But on a national or provincial scale, yeah, like the church is, the church should probably hold back from making like declarations, Um, but it, it has to be ready to be decisive. And even if that takes years, like, um, responding to the calls to action. But then another example is like today, we have the live question of vaccines versus not vaccines. And is does the church have anything to say about that? And um, it should be that the church is not left without resources from its own faith and its own understanding of the gospel and its own scriptures and its own tradition to be able to actually address that question. Like it's it's a theologically loaded question. And if we leave individuals to make all those decisions about vaccines or about the calls to action, if we leave that to themselves, well, then we've chosen a certain kind of church for ourselves, haven't we? It's just the one where it leaves it up to individuals. But Man. again, if the church believes in the gospel and the scriptures and the, and um, believes in its togetherness um, on these things, then it should really be able to put its you know collective head together and actually decide whether this is one of those moments where it has to make a decision
2: yeah although you know we we speak about the church uh, in some ways that's a bit of an abstraction yeah uh, in that at least here in Canada the reality on the ground is that most of the the larger mainline churches are in rapid decline uh, and many of the smaller churches aren't doing that well either um, is there still something kind of recognizably the church? Uh, in Canada that can get together and, and make decisions? And what would that even look like? Or, yeah. or what would it mean if, you know, we're seeing this play out right now where different denominations and different local churches are making different contradictory decisions, Mm -hmm. uh, using contradictory logics about Mm -hmm. vaccines and masking and social distancing and all these kind of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So is that a problem for this notion that something like the church exists that can make these kinds of judgments?
3: Yeah, it's a huge problem. And in some ways, it's the luxury of like a political theology conversation that we get to speak of the church with a capital C in the sort of abstract, just so that we can get our bearings you know like on what's at stake and how we should relate to this but then as soon as we drill down to like the well how does this work itself out we've got a massive problem in that there isn't really a capital c church that like makes unified decisions or even deliberates in a meaningful way um arguably anywhere (laughs) and so you know and even if one massive denomination or even the roman catholics can actually manage that they're still doing it without a whole bunch of their brothers and sisters and cousins in the faith, you know, and, and so that is a huge problem, but at least by asking the question, by at least by raising the question, how does the so-called church respond to these things? We actually call ourselves to engage with whatever church bodies we're a part of and actually say, Hey, what should we be doing here? Rather than just going on whatever social media sites we're on and just spouting off about what we think uh, is called for we should actually lean into whatever our real life connections are to the capital C Holy Catholic church uh, and engage, even if just asking the question, what would our, what, what what would you as my pastor recommend I do? That's a form of engaging the church. You know what I mean? Yeah. And asking your pastor to engage the denomination on a big question. That's a form of like making this particular, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what it sounds like you're saying is that one of the um, one of the things that needs to characterize a, a Christian politics is um, some sort of a, a decision to deliberate, mm-hmm. to actually enter into deliberation. Mm-hmm. What what kind of other things would characterize kind of a, a church politics or or, or a Christian politics as you might see it? Are there things that you could kind of look at and be like, yeah, that's recognizably a Christian politics?
3: Um, Well, there's things like internal to the church's life that I think would fuel its approach to these things. But like in terms of the church's like resources for understanding like how it would define something like the common good, um, it would be things like love your neighbor as yourself, which is coupled with heart, soul, mind and strength language so that it's not that hard to extrapolate from that, like a vision of the dignity of each human being as a whole self Um, to be loved with the same sort of love as any self would be loved. And like any, you know, a church that approaches a, a social environment looking to see that every neighbor is loved as a self worthy of, of love is, is, you know, it maybe sounds trite, but it's actually quite a governing impulse, you know? Um, And then add to that the charge to love our enemies. In one sense, that's maybe something that um, can't be turned into a principle, but that can certainly inform a church's approach to questions like, should our country go to war? Um, Should we fund, um, to what extent should we fund policing and imprisonment systems over and against sort of rehabilitative systems? And, you know, you know, if resources were unlimited, those things wouldn't be in conflict, but let's face it, they are. And so, you know, um, but then also, you know, the call to nonviolence in Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount and, and elsewhere in his way of life, that that means that the churches speak a word against some of the presumptions of how we would work out our conflicts, not only interpersonally, but nationally and internationally. So, I mean, those are a couple examples. Do you have any others that come to mind off the top of your head?
2: Yeah, I, I know I I've I'm kind of way too influenced by Stanley Harwas, but he always kind of just makes some quip about, uh, you know, if we could be recognized as people who refuse to kill our our young yeah. and our old and our enemies, then that that would be that would be a good start. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, th- this podcast is trying to answer the question of, you know what is a canadian political theology um but do you think it's even helpful to think in terms of a national church like this or like a something like a canadian political theology is that even something we should be looking for or are there are there benefits to that but
3: maybe are there dangers to it too Yeah, I'd be curious to hear what you think, but I I think it's the helpfulness of it is that it gets us to recognize that we aren't a church in the abstract, we're a church in a a context that is formed and has an opportunity to form a sort of social fabric within which its people live and, and cooperate, at least ostensibly for the common good. But also because it helps us to name and... To engage with the reality that as Canada, we then relate to, we relate internationally in a way that we we don't otherwise. And so we have to, it, it gives us a context for our responsibility for global affairs. Um, but where it becomes dangerous is if we're like over-invested in our attachment to Canada as such, which, which shows up, you know, in the... Um, even in the example of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that you named, if I'm over-invested in this thing called Canada, is that at the expense of um, First Nations or is that inclusive of? And, you know, already in the way that you frame or answer that question, you're making certain determinations about um, the church's politics, right? And where the church has made massive mistakes in the past by over- by being overdetermined or even by helping a nationalist national project that it shouldn't have, or at least that it shouldn't have done the way that it did. And so the danger is that you, the church becomes overinvested in like nation state and nation building. And, um, but that's where, you know, like th- the way that that's where a political theology would say, yeah, but one of the church's main contributions to a nation or a province or a city or, even a, a conflict is that the church um, is invest, can be invested in it precisely in the mode of critique and repentance. Um, that's like something the church brings from within its own life, or at least it should, that can then have a bearing on on the national life or the provincial life. Um, so the benefit is that it names your context and it gives you the particularities of, of the things you should be looking at it. And the, the negative is that, well, we've seen it plenty of times before, even in Canada, the church sort of um, marries itself to whatever the the empire is, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I well, both of us have, have spent some time living in the UK and uh, obviously there's a state church, uh, which yep. is just a very different reality than what we have in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um And and I, as a Canadian, felt weirdly conflicted by it. But one of the things I think is helpful about it is that it helps um, a nation or a people to be able to um, have certain kind of ritual aspects to their life that lend intelligibility to their actions. So I'm thinking, we're Mm -hmm. recording this about a week after the first ever National Day for Truth Mm -hmm. and Reconciliation. And what I was kind of... um, struck by by that day was just the kind of confusion or lack of direction as to what to do with that day. Mm. It, it was something that came as a result of, of a call to action from the TRC. Uh, and yet in the implementation of it, there, you know, the Prime Minister, went on holiday and many other Canadians did as well. Some marched at various rallies in in different cities organized by grassroots things. There was a lot of, you know, trying to figure out who you should buy an orange shirt from and who you shouldn't. Um, But there was no, there was nothing. um, We don't have a structure in Canada that could even lead us in um, a day like that Mm -hmm. with the kind of the ceremonial aspects that a day like that requests. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there was there was a, a documentary that came a few years ago um, interviewing a number of different Indigenous leaders uh, across Canada. It, it was premiered at the U, U of W. Um, and it was talking about how reconciliation is a sacred thing and that mm-hmm. kind of our, our um, secular political order won't be able to handle that ultimately, that mm-hmm. um, it's going to have to be done through ceremony and, and you know, an acceptance of um spirituality it was speaking specifically about indigenous spiritualities but uh, i thought that that was a kind of a place in which the church needs to do a bit of thinking as Mm -hmm. well because we were so implicated in um the harms done that need Mm -hmm. reconciling for and uh we do have resources in terms of of ceremony that Mm -hmm. um maybe can that can be one of the places where uh the conversation between the church and first nations people can provide some.
3: Yeah. And it's a great case study in, in what political theology does because basically we're looking at this month, this last month, we had the birth of a new national holiday. Um, and your question, like, what do we do with that is a very good one. Cause if you just leave it as a holiday and that's like just the, what you do, then basically like everyone just goes, takes a day off and it's left to the individual to sort of, determine like how to spend that day and basically it's a break but we also have like the collective ability intentionally or unintentionally to develop like liturgies or like habits so i don't know when canadians started having thanksgiving turkey dinners or, or fish or whatever the vegetarian option is and like you know ostensibly taking in one of the cfl games um for labor day um or, you know, the Remembrance Day 11 o'clock ceremonies that you can watch on TV or go to. These things arise from somewhere, right? And I was I was kind of miffed because in Alberta, they didn't actually make the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation a, a, a holiday. And uh, I was saying, well, we need to, and our university needs to do that too. And one of the things that was pointed out to me in CounterPoint, like not that the person wasn't disagreeing, but they were saying, yeah, but if you just make it a holiday, then everyone just goes off and does nothing. Right. Whereas if we just, at least in a university like ours, if we actually kept campus life going and had chapels that day or or ceremonies that day that made sure that we focused on the thing that the day is about, that would be a means of us as an extension of the church engaging from a theological place but in the political, you know, developing political sort of habits that help us to focus on the thing we should be focusing about on. But the trouble there is that in that case, well, it's pretty problematic if a bunch of like majority European settlers just figure out for themselves how to spend the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. Shouldn't that be a day where we actually like call off all of our activities and go and ask our Indigenous, you know, uh, neighbors to to teach us, you know, that day? And so maybe I shouldn't be organizing any events that day at all. I should be going somewhere else. And so, but that there is taking, that's a great case study in political theology because we're asking a very live question, trying to come at it honestly from within our faith, repentantly as our faith would ask us to, but then the particularities of the question lead us to sort of be creative and, and, um, to seek like real life answers. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. It was almost like, um, you know, we declared a solemn fast to, to steal a biblical metaphor. And, and yet, uh, uh, nobody knew what to do with it. And so it just kind of, um, it led to some embarrassment in certain quarters and some virtue signaling in other quarters and a lot of cynicism, uh, from a lot of folks online. So yeah, it, it's,
3: uh, yeah. Especially these days, there's a default sort of like, and I find this in myself, as soon as I've said something about it, I've done something about it. Um, but that's like declaring a solemn fast, but then going and feasting and drinking, like the modern form of that might be like declaring a day and then going to Tofino. <laughs> you know, it's like, or, you know, I, I did my Twitter post about what this day is about. Now I'm going to go and, you know, vegetate on my couch. Um, tokenism, you know, is potentially worse than, than real engagement. And again, political theology is asking the question. How should the church approach these things in general? Does it have resources or like convictions that guide it? And then in the particular, how does the church make decisions about these things?
2: Yeah. One of the, one of the things that I worry about, um, when thinking about kind of the church being a politics or something is that, um, I worry about it becoming just a kind of a, a gesture politics. Yeah in that we kind of do um, ceremonies or we do, I don't know, we pray or whatever. And we assume that that has political ramifications. And then really there's no kind of material Mm -hmm. analysis that kind of goes Mm -hmm. along with that. And so Mm -hmm. uh, we end up actually perhaps doing more harm than good in that we've convinced ourselves that we've done something because we've gone ahead and done an activity. uh, But there's actually no political content there Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, in terms of uh, changing the world at all.
3: And it's tough because liturgies or ceremonies and habits do shape us. And even the words we say shape, like virtue signaling at least signals virtues. You know what I mean? Like that, it has that going for it Um, into us, into a social media platform or wherever we talk with our friends about how we'd like to be. But I just find this, this is part of back to your question about what do you do when the church abstract is actually so fragmented on the ground? Like, I come back to the question, like, who do I engage with to actually get involved? Like, there just seems like I don't know where to connect, how to be an activist, how to, like, get involved. But that, too, is, is the kind of thing that needs to start local. We need to start actually asking that question, not as an aside to our faith, but as, like, part of being a Christian is to ask the question, how should I be involved for the common good, whether it be by protest or by organization for, you know, for the good.
2: Yeah, and and I think that's ultimately why I think that. Well, obviously, why I think this podcast is worthwhile, but why I think the project of something like a Canadian political theology is worthwhile because, uh, like you say, we do kind of approach the world from this vantage point, and we need to be kind of, uh, I think, self-critical of what Canada is, recognizing that it has mm. not always been. It is a contingent reality, and it probably mm. will not always be. Yeah. But right now, it's the way that we communicate goods and harms to the world uh and we should be kind of involved in an ongoing reflection on what that is Mm -hmm. and so my hope with this project is to at least identify other canadians who've tried to think from within this context or have acted from within this context and what they might have to tell us about kind of the world that we live in because we've inherited the world from the dead in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. um and we kind of operate with assumptions that we don't know necessarily where they came from. So if we can kind of highlight some of those, uh, it might give us some direction as to as to what's next. How do we take that next step, and how do yep. we go
3: on in the world? Yep. And we can't do that ignorantly of those sort of historical shapers of our environment because we all get born into this political system that we didn't necessarily design. But we're it still behooves us to sort of understand how it works, like to understand how an economy works. Like, I'm not an economist. I don't know what I could understand. I don't do math very well. But like, you know what I mean? Like, what are the principles that govern like free market over against sort of like big government, like right and left? Like, why why wouldn't churches talk about that? You know, because shouldn't we have at least a stake wouldn't, wouldn't at least being informed on those things help us to be decisive in various moments, even if the church's only job there is just make sure it helps create informed citizens? And part of the informing is like bringing Christian teaching into the mix. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: Yeah, because to live in the world, you know, Oliver O'Donovan's really excellent on this. If, if folks want to do some reading, he did a three-part series on... Um, on Judge well. He he had an early book called *The Ways of Judgment*, and then he has this three-part series on on ethics as theology, where he kind of reflects on, uh, the fact of our lives as subjects and as Christian subjects is that we have to make judgments in the world. We have mm-hmm. to live our lives, and so that has, uh, you know, that will affect the world. And you can either reflect on that and make more informed judgments and better and worse judgments, or you can just kind of react. Uh, And, you know, I, I would rather live in a world where people make informed judgments, even if I ultimately disagree with the judgments that other people make, uh, then at least there becomes grounds for, for debating those judgments. Right.
3: And informed judgments and debate should be a part of the church's life. In fact, in some ways it should be something that the church is uniquely good at, which agrees with me. That this is almost like the opposite seems the case. Like back earlier when you talked about how was saying the church has a, po- doesn't have a politics. It is a politics. I mean, I got this more from Bonhoeffer and Bart, but um, the, what it makes me think of is that the, the church's inner life has a politic. It has a, has a, a shape to it. It has habits and patterns that are unique I shouldn't use the word unique. They could be, they could occur elsewhere, but they are like particular to the church habits, like confessing to one another, repenting, being willing to like mutually sharpen one another on the basis of what, not even on the basis of like the gravitas of my own moral sort of quality, but on the basis of, of the grace we have in Christ, the the grace that affords us the place to speak truth in love, to say, I'm sorry. And then learn, um, To to reconcile our sins and differences with one another. These are all like gospel. These are not like incidental of the gospel. Like that's what the gospel looks like when people who believe in Jesus get together. So if a church is a place where you don't, you aren't even free to like work out debates, then not only is that a shame because it sort of doesn't lean into the politic of the Christian life, but it also makes us kind of really bad citizens. Precisely the place where Christians ought to be like pretty good citizens because we know how to debate well, graciously, you know. And um, that's where I feel like if the church can own its own politic, like really have a healthy inner life of conversation and reconciliation, then it could be, you know, a more healthy contributor to the social life, the public life, where reconciliation and healthy debate are also in, in bad need right now, you know.
2: Absolutely. Well, John, thank you so much for, for giving us some time today to kind of talk about <laughs> political theology, and hopefully we'll be able to check in with you again at some point. Um, for our listeners, in, I think, March and April of 2022, yep. you and I will be hosting a series of learning centers with the New Leaf Network. Uh, do you want to just give a, a quick plug as to what those will be about?
3: Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, one of the the main uh, motives that we have that listeners should be aware of is that we want to do this in a Canadian context where we're, we're kind of tired basically of borrowing all of our political theology from America, um, just accidentally even, just because that's where our airwaves come from, so to speak. So we really just want to foreground in a four-week series just the question like, what is political theology in Canada, the kind of thing we've been talking about today, and then get into some of the specifics of what that looks like in Canada, as opposed to elsewhere. So we're going to have guests on to talk to us about that. And then to talk to us us about like multiculturalism and secularity, like what is a secular environment and how can that be good and bad Um, reconciliation and decolonization as it applies to the TRC and indigenous um, uh, questions and then climate crisis and Canada's well, our place in that as Christians and how we can engage with, Um, Canada's place in that global difficulty. So that's, I think the idea is for us to give an on-ramp into specifically Canadian political theology and to generate a conversation and help us all to get more informed about having our own conversation here um, that doesn't totally rely on the conversations that are in another context and and not always healthy or applicable for us.
2: Yeah, like uh, careful listeners might have noticed that the names that we cited throughout this None of them were Canadian. It was exactly. Stanley Hauerwas is, a, is an American. Oliver O'Donovan is, is a Brit. Bonhoeffer and Bart were Germans. Uh, and this is, this is characteristic of how theology gets done in Canada is we are kind of embarrassed uh, and think that we need to reach for sources from the kind of the great countries of the world. And yeah. uh, I think there have been things that Canadians have said that are worth attending to. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. And uh, until next time, Take care. Thank you.
0: All right. That was the very first episode of a brand new podcast on our network. Birthing process done. Elle, what'd you think?
1: I absolutely loved the first episode. I hope that you all did as well ryan interviewed john Coutts who is at ambrose he's the assistant professor of christian theology and just with so many things that they touched on that i thought was interesting i i love that they introduce the concept of canadian political theology and they don't answer the question of what it is that this is actually an exploration that's going to be happening and i love the way Ryan kind of describes or asks the question, as Canadian Christians, do we actually have anything distinctive to say? Do we, or, you know, he makes this great uh, line, uh, and it says, "Um, are we just merely uh, branch plant managers (laughs) for the American (laughs) project? I thought that was great. And he's saying, yes, we want to take this crash course through the tradition of Canadian political theology, and we want to have these conversations. And so I love that he and John kind of go back and forth on what that looks like and ask some of the questions like, what is a Canadian Christian politic? And does the gospel um, leave any of our politics untouched? I thought that was really interesting. Does the gospel actually address politics? Is the gospel social? And I love that they're putting those questions out into the world and even the concept of that oftentimes in our Christian tradition, we have been, for some of us, told that religion and politics is not something that you should mix and so sometimes what that has meant is that christians don't have much to say in the political space we've we've kind of drawn back from that and there's good reasons for it we can talk about that for sure but that we have seen in the last few years people asserting their faith more publicly in politics we see it very much so in the states they talk about that so what does it mean to bring our Christianity and our politics together and ask those questions about does the gospel actually have anything to say and what does it mean to to say that in the Canadian context so I thought there was a lot of good content a lot of questions that they asked and didn't answer which you know I like the answer but I appreciate that they're asking the question and and hopefully people will be able to dialogue and go on this journey together
0: Totally, totally agree, L. It's exciting to hear that kind of stuff. I want our listeners to come along for the journey and discover what makes uh, the Canadian Christian uh, political theological landscape unique. And I love the fact that this is just going to emerge and unfold for us uh, as we go along for the journey on this podcast. Friends, if you have an idea if you want to put out your very own podcast, but you don't want to go to all the trouble of how do I create a website? How do I uh, do all the social media following? How do I build a platform? If you have an idea and you want to talk about the spiritual landscape of the Canadian context, you got to get a hold of us. You got to send us an email. You got to reach out to us on Twitter. We are accessible folks. You can, you can contact us through our website because we want this podcast network to grow. We want there to be a family of podcasts that talk about the distinctive uh, realities of life in Canada and what that means for the Canadian church. So... Uh, we will help you we will talk with you we will work with you um, to to get podcasts off the ground because we care about developing the Canadian thought space we're so excited we're so thankful that God has brought uh, together uh, some thoughtful creative people this whole idea popped up on Twitter didn't it L this sure wasn't uh, something you and I just cooked up in in a in a at, around a coffee shop table. Somewhere, this actually this was this this was a uh, something that um, we saw some folks on Twitter talking. L, you politely and gently inserted yourself into the conversation and got this. We helped get this idea off the ground. Now we're not responsible for all the work that that Ryan does on the podcast. This is his podcast, but we're just excited to see uh, the the Canadian thought space grow and expand, and that's what we're all about. So, Elle, if people want to stay connected with what's going on around uh, the New Leaf Network, they want to stay connected to this particular podcast, what do they got to do?
1: Please check out the website. So newleafnetwork.ca. You can find us on all the social media handles. If you would like to subscribe to the True North Theology podcast, whatever podcast catcher you use, Spotify, iTunes, um, any of the Google podcasts, you'll find it there. It's True North Theology Podcast. And we'll also have a spot on our website for it under the family of podcasts in the network section. So, newleafnetwork.ca slash True North Theology Podcast. You can sign up for our email on the website as well. We try to send up an email once a month. We try not to bug you too much. Um, but just to let you know about things that are coming up and something that we wanted to make mention that's coming up we are having an event God willing, in person. It'll be hybrid, so it'll also be online. But we are putting together an event in person in May of 2022 called The Table. It's happening the 27th, May 27th and 28th at McMaster Divinity College in Hamilton. That has just gone live on the website. You can find that newleafnetwork.ca slash the table. And we are trying to have an event that will be Good for your weary soul because so many of us in ministry have just felt that the reservoir has gone dry. And so we want to gather together around the table from all the nooks and crannies across the country and um, set a feast for one another. And whether you're restless or weary or joyful or energized, we want you to come and join with us together. So a couple of guest speakers, but it's not going to be like a typical conference. We're not going to exhaust you with too much content. We're going to leave lots of space for um, contemplative practice and prayer together, and we're going to be hearing from Andrew Root, um, who is a speaker that some of you might know. So that's something coming up in the network that we're excited about. So I thought I would just mention it at the end here.
0: So friends, it's time to to put on your stretchy pants or take them off if if you if you haven't been out in public in a while. It's time to put down the sourdough recipes and uh, binge watching. Tiger King on Netflix and join the real world. Come and f- and meet face to face with your fellow uh, leaders in God's work here in Canada. I'm excited to see you all uh, in May. See you with my own eyeballs and not be looking through the lens of a webcam. But also, if you are unable to travel, if Hamilton, Ontario is just too far away, the beautiful thing about this new world we live in is that um is that we'll also be bringing this online so i'm really excited about that we are not going to short shrift people online it's going to be an amazing experience and uh, i just think this is going to be an incredible conference and i can't wait to see you there so friends uh from all of us here at the new leaf project we bid you adieu which means to go with god and we are just so grateful to have you uh have you as a listener and uh, stay connected with us friends this is going to be an incredible year for the new leaf network
1: bye everybody thanks for tuning in
0: bye-bye